This is the School Success Podcast, a podcast for school leaders to learn from other school leaders what's working and what's not, and to get inspiration and encouragement, as well as strategies to grow school enrollment, connect with families, retain teachers, recruit teachers, and everything in between. You guys are heroes, and I cannot thank you enough for pouring into this next generation that's coming behind us. My goal is you will take at least one thing away from every episode that you can take back to your school to make it better than it is right now. Please enjoy the School Success Podcast. Hey, school success makers. In just a few moments, you're going to hear from my friend Jad right outside our nation's capital in beautiful Arlington, Virginia. We dive into all the things happening at his school and we have fun doing it as always. So stay tuned in just a few moments for the next episode of the School Success Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the School Success Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Slater. I'm joined with a new friend out of Arlington, Virginia, Jad Tuma, who is the assistant head of school at Children's House Montessori. They only have about two to five-year-olds at this school, so we're going to dive into all things little toddlers, little kids today, and how it's, what it's like to educate and pour into those kids. And I won't take any more thunder away from him. I'll let him introduce himself. So good morning, Jad, and welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Mitchell. Uh, thanks for inviting me, and I'm excited for today. Man, me too. And I love that you're in Virginia. Obviously, you're right outside D.C. So what what is it like being in a very, very populated area of D.C. Um, where a ton, obviously a ton of history is and you work at a school? So what's that like? It's incredible. I think the biggest piece with that is that these children get this opportunity and they don't even know it uh, until maybe later in, in later years. But having the chance for parents to take children right into D.C. five minutes, 10 minutes, even 40 minutes out, I think is something that is invaluable and something that oftentimes is overlooked considering we have you know relatives and whatnot outside of D.C. that come to D.C. and say, wow, you can take the metro, take the bus, you know, bike into D.C. depending on where you live. And that's a luxury and something that I think children only over time as they continue to grow in the Arlington area truly um, love and enjoy and that's a incredible asset to the community and also um, uh, the students that are in Arlington. Man. <clears throat> and I've only been to DC truly once when I was uh, well, um, my, my now wife we were I think engaged at the time <clears throat> took a trip to DC and I was like it was really cool because it's I'd never been there before, of course, and seeing things that you had read about and you had seen on movies to finally like be in front of was really I mean, it was all I was kind of awestruck. I remember seeing the, the Lincoln Memorial and obviously the Washington Monument. Everything was like, whoa, this is I've seen these in movies and all these books. And now it's right in front of me. And it's just so cool. I think obviously a ton of history and just obviously, you know, I love America very much. So being a part of there was just very, very cool. So if you were to pick maybe two or three things. What's What are your favorite things to do in D.C. or what you would tell somebody, hey, if you're going to D.C., you got to go to this museum or do this different thing to, to try? I think the best thing about D.C. is that the museums are never ending, right? So there's traditional museums that are always there, the National History Museum, the Portrait Gallery, etc., African American Museum. At the same time, there's new museums that are created. Uh, there's one recently at the Franklin School right near Chinatown that is all about language and is all about the history of how language came to be. And that's a fabulous, fabulous museum that I went to two weekends ago. 
um, and one that I, I think is, is amazing now with, with, that celebrates the diversity that's in the, the district and the surrounding communities. But um, I think, again, any and all the museums that are available and then walking, biking, uh, scootering, uh, segueing. I mean, there's so many ways to get around the, the area and you're going to see it when you, once you're in D.C. I mean, you know, bikes are very, very easy to pick up and, and, uh, and lock in different areas. So I think the biggest thing is uh, really taking advantage of all the different educational museums that are available to you that are mostly free and then also exploring the museum any way that you want. Uh, again, foot, boat, kayak. I mean, it really, you can do anything out of the sun when you're in that area. Well, I'm married to a history graduate. So I know when we went there, it was all about like, this is this and this is this. And it was like <clears throat> huge for her. And I was like, that's pretty cool. I like it, but I'm not on the same level that you are. And I remember we had had a rental car and we were driving through uh, DC and I don't know how we found a parking garage, but I was, we found a parking garage and we went like five levels underground or something crazy. And then I saw the price tag of how much parking was. I was like, we're never doing this again. This is ridiculous. I think it was like $20 an hour or something ridiculous to park underground. Um, yeah, it's expensive city. I'm assuming, isn't it? Street, street parking is, is you have to learn how to, maneuver with the street parking signs. Some of them are free during certain hours and some change because the, uh, the traffic flow is different at certain times of day, but um, it's definitely, it's definitely um, an algorithm to figure out uh, as you navigate the city. Well, see, now that I have you know your, your cell phone, I can just text you be like, Jad, I need some help, man. I'm gonna be <laughs> <laughs> Yep, how do I decipher this parking street? Like, am I, am I on the right road one way, you know, two ways? So yeah, anytime. Man, well, <clears throat> let's uh, dive into your school a little bit. Tell me about your um, your school before we get into any like challenges and and things that are going really good. Love just t tell us about your school and what you guys are about and who you who your kind of target market is. Sure. So we uh, we are a Montessori preschool in Arlington, Virginia, and we have about a hundred students, and we serve children age two to six. So we have a toddler program that primarily is between two and three-year-olds and a preschool program that's primarily from three to six-year-olds. And we've been in Arlington, Virginia at our location for 22 years now. And we've been really, really uh, fortunate to have staff that have also been with us, some for 20 years, some 15, some 10 years, and some brand new. And that's one thing that we really uh, appreciate and are very fortunate to say because not every school can say that. And um, uh, similarly with that as well as the diversity of our staff as well. We have, again, we sometimes like to say it's the United Nations. We have um, all over the world from the UK to China to Pakistan um, to Oklahoma, right? So we, we really appreciate how diverse our staff is and that's something that we hope to pass on to our students and hopefully our students can see and observe and take in all the cultural diversity that we bring to the children every day. And again, something that we also do in the classroom is we make sure that, again, if you have a holiday or celebration or something that you want to show children from your cultural culture, come into the classroom and show that to the children, uh, whether it's creating lessons or a presentation. Last year, one of our teachers who's Native American, she did an entire presentation to the entire school about her Native American tribe, and that was something that we've never experienced as adults, students, and something that children really remember uh, for years on out, looking back at those presentations. 
we've been really, really uh, fortunate to be in the area for so long, and it's exciting because at the same time we've we've watched the community evolve over time, and have seen a lot of developments in the childcare space with uh, new childcare centers near us, ones that are being built uh, in different parts of the Northern Virginia area. So it's something that we have always kind of knew that would happen considering we're a metropolitan area and there's many different kinds of businesses that are moving into the DC area as well as the surrounding Northern Virginia areas. So it's definitely a need um, in the community that isn't going anywhere unless, you know, teachers become robots or robots become teachers in some way. Um, but at the, at the time being, at this moment in time, childcare is incredibly essential to many of the working families that are in this area, um, whether that's two parents that work full time, one parent works part time. We really are, are trying to um, allow parents to have the flexibility of childcare in this area. So whether that means it's a part day program, a full day program, um, and we're also looking for other ways to serve them. Um, so I think that's a little bit about our school uh, from a general standpoint. Um, but we're just really happy to, to continue to serve families in this area. <clears throat> well, I love that. And I love how diverse and the different cultures you guys have. I think that's so important for, um, for kids upbringing and something. It's something I wasn't, me personally, wasn't around. It wasn't any fault of, I feel like my parents, I grew up most of my years in Alaska. Alaska is a very predominantly white state, uh, just being what it is. And so, uh, I remember when we moved, my wife and I moved to South Florida, where we are right now, it's a very, very, very diverse area, which has been, I mean, we've loved it. The, like the church we go to, super diverse. And then our neighborhood, like all our friends, we have, it's been really awesome for us, like eye-opening to just hear different stories from different people. And um, one of my friends came over from Colombia and just telling his story of, of coming over here. And then we have new neighbors that just moved in. Well, he's from Bosnia, she's from Cuba and hearing Cuban stories. Holy moly, like it's been so eye-opening just to go, I never would have heard this story or never would have known this if I hadn't really met them and just broke bread with them and talked with them. And we, again, we just had, we were at their house a couple of days ago and had some Cuban coffee, which was awesome. So, you know, and it had some good, heard some good stories. So I think it's so important. I love that, you know, my son, two and a half, is growing up around that all, seeing different colors and cultures and all that. And I think that's so important. So I love that that's a huge part of your school because uh, I think that is important for the kids' upbringing. Um, for for you guys with that age group you have, uh, I know you said 100 students, is is that maxed out and you have a waiting list of 1,000 kids waiting to just please get into this school? Or are you guys trying to build a bigger building to grow? What's kind of that growth path for you guys? I wish I could say that a 1,000 person wait list was something that we we boast about. We, uh, we generally are at about 100 students because um, that's kind of where our capacity is. Um, at the same time, we always, like any other uh, preschool child care center, are always looking for other opportunities to grow, whether that's a bigger building space or um, other ways to serve the community. But that's kind of where we've, we've kind of settled at, uh, um, uh, about 100 students. Okay. Is it something, because I've asked this to other um, school leaders we've had on the podcast who sounds like they're doing amazing things with, with what they have, but like, is the vision to ever grow into being an elementary school and adding on additional grades? Is that even in the cards or in the vision of the school? Or is that like, no, we're going to, we're amazing at what we do in this group and we're just going to keep it the way it is. That's a great question. I think, 
a lot of schools over time might change their vision, change their mission based upon the different demographics and the different needs in the community. And I think at this point in time, um, a lot of our families are ready to leave us after uh, preschool because the public school system in Arlington County is so great and they're ready to go into kindergarten right from our school. Now, I wouldn't say that's something that we'll never consider because I don't think anyone should just be defined by a specific vision and core beliefs and never change forever, right? So I think it's always something that you know we might consider depending on the circumstance. But at this point in time, uh, the last 22 years have been wonderful with our core group of, of uh, students, toddlers and preschoolers. So what's it look, then, look like when a student finishes out? Do you guys, I mean, I know it's only 100 students and obviously not all 100 are leaving every year, but what is it, do they have a specific school where you guys, hey, here is an elementary Montessori school that you could go into? Or is it kind of they just get into the regular just public school system because like you mentioned, they are very, very good schools? About two or three families every year send us an email, talk with us about if they should continue the Montessori journey. There is a public, public Montessori uh, school in Arlington that uh, some families can choose to go to. Um, but for the most part, m the majority of our families go to different public school, elementary schools that are in their neighborhood. Some might go to a lottery uh, school, uh, and then a other small percentage might go to a private school, whether it's in Northern Virginia or the district, but more often than not, most of our families go right into the public elementary school. And again, we saw a change during COVID, and we saw many families choose to go to the private school route more than previous years. And a lot of the reasons for that can be they felt they were uncertain about the public school system and weren't sure if they were going to be 100% in person and they didn't want to bet on that and, and wanted in-person learning, so they went the private school route. Now, how many of those students who went private school after that year are still in private school? I'm not sure, but for the most part, um, since our entire history, most of our families head to elementary public school right after uh, graduating from us, and a select few uh, go the private school route. All right. Well. Obviously, being an assistant head of school, you're you're dealing with some probably challenges on a daily basis. So we'll kind of jump into that a little bit. So what are some of those challenges you guys are kind of up against? You got two to six-year-olds in a school all day long. So what, what kind of challenges are you guys up against? I think the biggest challenge and the biggest piece that we talk a lot about, and I think I'd like to phrase it that way, something that we focus on a lot versus a specific challenge that we're trying to overcome is how can we as a community of staff, adults, teachers, uh, bridge that communication with parents in a way that parents feel heard and they feel um, like they know what's happening in the classroom and where learning is going. And I think that's something that is especially interesting about these times that we're living in as parents are getting younger and parents are living in an age where things come to them a lot easier, whether it's on their phone, their iPad, their computer. Um, the interesting thing about our community is that 10 years ago, uh, we didn't have uh, a streamlined communication over email with our teachers. And those same, te same teachers are also here today. So those teachers have lived from 
handwritten notes to now email communication. And that is an incredible transformative piece that uh, we're lucky to have. At the same time, we're trying to figure this out, as most schools are trying to figure this out, is how do we serve parents, busy parents, uh, very communicative parents and smart parents who have grown up and have, most of them, do almost 100% of their work on some sort of phone, laptop, etc. And how do we meet them where they are? Because from our point of view, we want our teachers to be with children 100% of the time. We want them to be near them, teaching lessons, observing them, and at the same time, where is the time to then communicate with the parents about what's happening in the classroom without leaving the children or working extreme hours? So that's one, one idea that we're really focusing on now because we're seeing it with the incoming parents that are coming in, whether it's the questions about how the communication is or whether it's questions about how often are we observing. I think it's something that's going to evolve over time and will definitely change. And one piece that we're excited to embark on with these new families because uh, we know for a fact that we do have to change in order to, to serve them and fulfill that need that will be ever growing and ever changing. So when you talk email communication, this is where the, each teacher is responsible for communicating with the, the parents of the students that are under their, under their care with like, hey, you know, uh, so-and-so had an, uh, an accident today or so-and-so hit another student, like that type of communication, like letting the parents know what's going on in the school with their student? Every kind of communication, whether it's an incident, whether it's a, you know, Maya today did an amazing, uh, amazing job working with this lesson. I saw Peter was offering to uh, help uh, Leo clean up a, a work in the classroom. Um, whether it's positive moments, whether it's moments to grow, whether it's I've noticed and observed this change and I wanted to check in with you. It's everything under the sun and trying to make sure that everyone is getting an opportunity, whether it's the teachers or the parents, to communicate back and forth and make sure that we're on the same page. One piece that uh, we're learning and other schools are also learning this as well is how do you communicate when some families might not be in the building? Maybe you have a drop-off or pickup that's curbside and parents don't walk in the building unless it's a back-to-school night or a parent-teacher conference or another winter event or a spring event, a community building event. So how do you form that relationship, nurture that relationship, and sustain that relationship when you have a communication tool in front of you like a computer or a phone that is the primary way that you're speaking, right? Um, and so that that is definitely something that has changed over time and something that we will have to adjust and, and we're still problem solving, still brainstorming ways to make this easier and to make it efficient and make sure that everyone like communicating the same uh, message. Right now, currently just email, there's nothing like no software yet for like texting or sending like a thing out to a parent about like a quick alert. Cause obviously I look at my, I'm way better looking at texts than I am email for, for being quick. Uh, is there anything with texting that you guys have tried out yet? That's something that we're looking into. Again, we're, we're trying our best to find the right software, find the right communication tool and not rush into it because we do, uh, at our school, we really value over-communicating. Um, and that's something that 
we want to make sure that that doesn't change depending on the different software that we do use. But I think the email communication is one thing that we are focusing on, but um, at the same time, it's how can we communicate with pictures and with videos and maybe with audio and maybe a video newsletter instead of a, a, a paper newsletter. I think there's all these different creative ways that are out there. It's just a matter of trying them out and testing them out and not being afraid to say we're going to change something and make something different because we want to see what works. Yeah. I love that video. That's a good idea for the video because I'm one that would rather, I would rather watch a two minute video than read an email. It's going to take me maybe five minutes or something just because it's way more interactive. And one idea I always will give, <clears throat> give clients or just give friends is, Hey, instead of typing out a message to just, we're just talking, it's like with your friend, instead of typing out a message to him, make a quick video and just text it to him. And so that's something I've been doing for like birthday wishes, anniversary wishes or anything instead of because literally the time it takes to type out an, an actual like wishing you a happy birthday instead of just the words happy birthday, I can make a video way quicker and be like, hey, so-and-so, happy birthday. I hope your day is awesome. And it's like so personal to them. So I think the same thing for the video, <clears throat> excuse me, the video idea. I love that. It's a video newsletter. It'd be perfect. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I, I, and I think too it, it opens – it opens so much more than just what's on a piece of paper or on a photo, let's say, right? I mean, yes, a uh, picture says a thousand words, whatever the saying is, but uh, something that's interactive or video, you can see the facial expressions, you can see the reactions, you can hear the noise, the voices. So again, I think people want more than what's on the surface and something like video in that space, I think will be a big player moving forward in, in communication. What a challenge for that, um, hit, hitting you with the right hook here, because I don't know, because what a challenge, again, obviously, you could sit down at your desk, make a quick video, and send it out to all the families for a recap of the day, but if you were to suddenly like, walk around the school and different students and kids were in the video, would that, would that one automatically not be allowed, or is there waivers that everybody signs saying, yes, my kid can be you know, photographed to put on Facebook or to put on a video, like, would you run run into those type of challenges if you started to like record around the school? I think it depends on where the video is going, right? If the video is going to a public platform, social media, website, that'd be different. But if it's going internal to only the community of that classroom, like only the classroom parents, then I think that parents will be a little bit more okay with that. Um, so yeah. Okay, and I know it's what uh, my son's school does. Like they'll send out a, an email with a couple of pictures of his class or a couple of things. And it's just to the families of that school. And that, cause I know I'd be like, oh, I don't want to go on, I don't want to go into the whole world, you know? Cause obviously, obviously we all know the world we live in today. We gotta be um, always protective and stuff. So yeah, so I, I agree. <clears throat> just thought I was like, oh, I'll ask. Uh, any, any other challenges you want to share about before you get a chance to just brag like crazy uh, on the school you guys have? Again, that's, it's a great question about what are we focusing on now to get better as a school community? And I think for, and, and again, this is something that I think all schools are dealing with and trying to figure out it. And the piece is hiring and, and, and staffing. And that's something that I think that everyone is going to think of differently, whether that means they, they interpret the lack of staffing or lack of uh, qualified candidates as people don't want to be teachers or people don't want to you know, be a chemistry teacher or be a preschool teacher because they don't want to work with young children or they don't want to work with high schoolers. And 
again, I don't have the I don't have the statistics to know those trends and are there less people going the education route versus going a different route um, in universities and colleges? I'm not sure, um, but what I do know is that I uh, we've we've realized that while this trend of of less candidates out there is something that everyone is experiencing. I think at the same time, we all have to find different and creative ways to recruit and inform potential teachers, potential admin, uh, potential educators out there so that they can understand this is an amazing career that they can go down that has many different opportunities. And again, I, I, I think that it's something that Every school is going to look at it differently, but we definitely have to think of more creative ways to get in front of um, potential educators, uh, introduce them to schooling at a maybe a younger age of you know observe in this classroom or uh, I, you know if you're an education major, come and observe in different learning environments, whether it's a private school, public school, Montessori, Waldorf, Reggio Emilio, get a fuller experience of what education is in your community and see where you fit into that realm. My educational background is in, in elementary and special education. And when I was doing my student teaching, there was many teachers that have never heard of Montessori or Waldorf or Reggio Emilio. That wasn't even a word that even was in, that, in their dictionary. Um, and so that in itself, that makes me surprised that that isn't, that isn't even a topic that's being taught. That there's other forms. That there's others, other forms of education that uh, educators can look into, and maybe not become a teacher in one of those facets, but learn a different strategy down that philosophy and incorporate that into their own teaching. So, I think most most of the time it's really just a matter of education and making sure teachers are exposed to the different educational philosophies. And if one of them sticks, then that's amazing. And they found where their, where their philosophy uh, that fits them best. That is an excellent point that hopefully anybody who's listening would go, maybe you don't feel super duper fulfilled with what you're doing at the specific level. Maybe it's a different grade you need to be at. Maybe it's a different style of teaching or education that maybe they need to be in. Because I think that's excellent. Because Montessori is new for like my wife and I, because it's what we're <clears throat> doing with, uh, with our son. And it's new. We both weren't raised Montessori. We had heard the word, but we didn't really know what that meant. And there was a Montessori school um, up in Alaska by us, but it wasn't a, tr a true Montessori school because it obviously with the whole, anybody can use the word Montessori without truly being, it was one of those. And so um, we had learned about it from a friend and we were like, oh, okay, but it didn't sound any different. And so then we started learning about it. I was like, oh, I like you speak to the kids differently. You give them obviously a little bit more freedom, obviously not diving into all of that, but it was like, oh, I like that style, like that style. And again, I'm not saying Montessori is better than anything else. I'm not. It's just when my wife and I learned about it, we're like, I like that. And I think that fits our family style and our dynamic of what we're doing. And so like my son helps me cook dinner. He's two. He's been helping me cook dinner for over a year. He has a little kitchen helper. He's always involved in the things we're doing at home and the chores we're doing. <clears throat> I was like, I love that. I know it's more of a Montessori, but whatever. I mean, anybody can do that and not be Montessori. It doesn't really matter, but um, I love that style. So I love that that tip from you guys uh, or from you for yeah, telling people to explore others. There's all these different ways a, a kid, and just because they don't do Montessori or Waldorf or any of these others doesn't mean obviously they're not going to be successful like at all. It's not what you're saying at all. 
Um, uh, so going off of those, okay, we finished some challenges. Um, this, it's bragging time. I, I give everybody an opportunity to brag about your school. What's going really good? What's going awesome that you guys are obviously extremely proud of that you'd like to to share and hopefully share in the um, anticipation that maybe somebody can go, whoa, I never thought about doing that or I never I've heard that before that they could maybe take back to their school to um, implement. The biggest thing I, I think for our school is um, happy staff, happy children, happy parents, um, and the, the common thread between those three pieces of, of the school is community. So what is your school doing that is building community with staff, with parents, with students? Is that in the form of having uh, different speakers come in? Um, and I know that that might sound a little bit odd to have a speaker come in for a three-year-old or four-year-old or five-year-old, but in the past we've had a local photographer come in and share their work about what they do. Uh, we've had, again, the fire department come, uh, so local fire department uh, servicemen come and share what they do. Um, we've had community building events with parents, whether that's outside in the playground, whether that's um, uh, community events that are with food, like a barbecue in that sense, um, and with staff is really making sure that in-service days and uh, other days that you have just with staff are also building that community, whether that's off-site or on-site. Finding a way to make sure that everyone remembers that we're not just walking through the door every day, clocking in, clocking mm -hmm. out, dropping our children off at school, picking them up. We are a part of a small community at large, and uh, we're all interconnected in some way, and it's our responsibility while we know that many parents might connect with each other and have played it to each, each other. It is still our responsibility to make sure that everyone is getting together as a unit and as a community. Um, and it might look different in everyone's backyard. Like it might be, some schools might have like an annual pizza day where they invite the entire school and it's a Friday afternoon and that kicks off the school year. Um, it might be an ice cream social that happens in the spring or summer, depending on where you live, that kicks off the beginning of a, a new season. Um, whatever it may be, we've learned that our families love those types of events and most of our families attend those events. So that's the biggest piece. It'd be one thing if we're having them and parents are, don't want to show up, but the biggest thing that we've seen is that they want to be there. They're looking for that connection. They're looking for uh, to be a part of a community in some sense um, because that's kind of why we're all here. We're Again, we're here to be uh, in our community of a classroom, of a program, of an entire school. Um, that's what continues this legacy of a school um, as it serves different parts of the surrounding neighborhoods. I know my wife and I want that. We long for that. I'm sure, every, I feel like everybody has that, that community. So I love that you guys offer that and encourage people, give them opportunities to do that. I think that would be, it's a I think it'd be a huge missed opportunity, I guess, for a school who's not having some type of function. And that could be crazy for some schools. You think about some schools may have 500 kids. Well, that's a huge function if the whole school's getting together, unless you do it by grade. But you guys do the full 100 students, all parents invited to like a huge function. So you could have 300 people or more at an event then. And it doesn't even have to be an entire school, right? So that's there's a couple events that we do that where we, have the, we bring the entire school together. But I, I think that you can have different ways to celebrate community, whether that's with just the classroom, or just the program, or just an entire grade. I think that 
it doesn't have to have a specific definition. It can be whatever you want it to be because in the end, people just want to be around others and connect with others and be part of something, whether that is something very small, whether that's something very big. It's finding ways to be creative. And, and I don't think one thing, too, is don't be afraid to just uh, to reach out to other areas in your community. I mean, yes, you can have all these events on your campus, but what about exploring nearby playgrounds? What about exploring nearby community centers or exploring if you live near, I don't know, a um, baseball stadium? Maybe you're going to do a one day that everyone comes on, uh, you know, for a home baseball game and you're, you meet up beforehand. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to make it fun and enjoyable. It is logistically, it can be complicated, but as any running any event or coordinating any kind of celebration, there will always be hurdles in that sense of trying to figure out who's going to be where at what time. But the whole purpose and the intent is you're still in a community and you're working towards that. So whatever the complexities are beforehand, those are stepping stones to getting to your community building event and uh, establishing a space for, you know, a common space that all of you recognize and, and want to continue to make, uh, you know, continue to grow. Well, I have a, this question that popped up as you were talking, little tiny bit off topic, but it was, you guys, you said you've been, the school's been open for 22 years? Yes. Okay. Is it, have you had by chance anybody who is part of your program as a student that now has had a kid who's now going through the, the program as well? So two stories. One story is we had a parent that came in for a parent-teacher conference and an in-person parent-teacher conference and their family joined us during the pandemic so they they never had stepped foot in the school before everything was done virtually except for their child obviously the child has stepped in the school many many times more than the parent and the parent came in and they were walking him to the his child's classroom and he was like i haven't been in this school in 33 years and for a second i was like 33 years i don't i'm not really sure what you know what that means but he was like, no, I, I, uh, I went to this school when I was a five-year-old, and it was a different name, so same building, but a different, um, slightly different name, but he was, I, yeah, I was here 33 years ago. So that was uh, interesting and very fun wow. to realize that there's someone, you know, that, came, that went to the school many, many years ago. Um, and then the second thing is when, is we've had, two years ago, uh, one of our first graduates in the first graduating class came back to us over the summer to work as a teacher assistant. So she graduated in the first class in uh, 2000, yeah, 2000. She was five years old and then uh, she's completing her second year at University of Virginia and lives in the area and wanted to come back and, and uh, be an assistant in the classroom. And that was very bittersweet because many, some of the teachers actually remember her when she was five years old and it was, uh, so just a very full circle moment that I think is, uh, speaks a lot of volumes to the community and, and uh, who she is. And I think and that'd be, again, uh, something that's incredibly uh, interesting to, to look towards. Where are your alumni right now? Like what, what could you do as a bringing alumni back, whether it's, you know, two years since graduating, five years since graduating, maybe it's, you know, 10 years since graduating. I don't know. But it's so it's so fun to have uh, have students that do come back and whether it's share a story or even like the example before come and, and work for the school. 
um, as an adult, it, it's really, really special. And you guys are like, oh my gosh, they turned out really good. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we did our job. Everything's okay. They want to come back. Yeah, it's, it is a very sweet moment. That's awesome. Well, uh, the last question is we kind of wrap it up, close it out. If you could share any bit of encouragement, inspiration, or anything like as we close out that you'd like to share with any of the school leaders tuning in, what would you like to say or share with them? I think the biggest thing is knowing that there's going to be amazing days as a school leader, as a teacher, as someone who's supporting children. And there'll be days where you question that and you think to yourself, why am I doing this? Uh, is this all worth it? Um, do I want to keep doing this? And it's like any school season uh, and any school year, there's ebbs and flows. And um, it's, it's really important to realize that we have to be creative as teachers, as leaders, as professionals, as adults. There will be times when we're questioning our own values, our own vision, our own systems. Um, but the biggest thing is that we have to keep moving forward. It, you know, we're going to have different hurdles that we will be overcoming in the next two, five, ten years, twenty years. This last hurdle of the pandemic, I mean, is incredible. So many, so many um, adults and, and admin had to endure incredible things to overcome what happened the last two years. Um, and I think it just speaks volumes to how we have to just keep going and keep pushing forward. And um, it is crazy that we had to, in the last two years, we had to become physicians, we had to become epidemiologists, we had to become the all-knowing seekers of truth, and we're also just educators, right? We're all just supporting and caring for children. Um, so the biggest thing is that uh, it's, it's so important to just keep moving forward, keep, um, keep learning and keep being creative in that there's never a wrong answer for any of the problems that you're trying to solve. It's just a matter of keeping, uh, keeping asking those questions and keeping creating uh, those answers. Well, thank you so much, Jad, for, for being on the podcast and for also just, again, doing what you do and making it a safe, healthy, and encouraging environment for all those, those little kiddos and the students that you guys have. And wish you and the school nothing but the best as you guys continue to grow and, and stay rooted there in Virginia. And um, hopefully, like I said, if I ever make my way up to, to DC, I'm gonna need some help with the parking job. So <laughs> Yes, par parking and come visit the school and we'd love to have you, but it was, uh, it was a great opportunity. So thank you, Mitchell. Well, a huge shout out and a thank you to Jad for being on the podcast today. I had a blast talking with him and learning from him, and I hope you guys did too. As always, I hope you can take at least one thing from our conversation today to get back to your school to make it better than it is right now. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or ideas, you can find us online at schoolsuccessmakers.com. We would love to hear from you. We'll be back here next week, as always, with another awesome guest on the School Success Podcast. We'll see you then.